Attention all Dungeons & Dragons fans. KOSU has the podcast for you. Red Dirt D&D brings you the world's greatest role-playing game, along with music and sound effects like a classic radio show. New shows drop every Wednesday, are totally free, and short enough to fit into your daily commute or working out at the gym. Red Dirt D&D can be found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as KOSU.org, or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Gosh dang it, it's a Thursday. Uh, you know, we've just gotten back, uh, our crew has just gotten back from PAX South, or pa- I'm sorry, not PAX South, PAX Unplugged in uh, Philly, and we rolled in literally two days ago, and then diving into this show, and it, you know, it feels like a weird weekend already, um, it's felt like Friday all day, but I appreciate you fellas taking time out of your afternoon to hang out and talk some horror. Great to be here. I've been excited yeah, for yeah. this all day. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So let's do some introductions. Uh, First off to anybody who is tuning in to this. Welcome to uh, Midwest Game Fest online. Uh, My name is Zach Goins. I'm one of the guests here uh, for the convention. I'm also helping wrangle some of these panels. Uh, We're streaming this both to Midwest Game Fest online and also to some of our world of game design platforms as well. Um, Before we get into anything else, I would encourage you, if you are watching this on some other platform other than the Midwest Game Fest Twitch channel, to give Midwest Game Fest uh, some of your attention. Go check out their Discord, check out their website. They've got a ton of events, a ton of games, a ton more panels, live play, uh, um, um, RPG sessions all weekend long uh, this weekend of December 7th through 10th. And there's some really, really cool stuff there. You can get the whole schedule by going to MidwestGameFest.com. And uh, we'll also post the links into the chat. And I see we've already got some people in chat. Welcome, 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 welcome. Uh, Yeah, so we're going to do some introductions right away. And then we're going to dive into the panel. The panel is going to be about 40 to 45 minutes on this topic. And then we're going to open it up. If anybody has any questions uh, that they want to pitch to this lovely a group of fellows. That's great. If not, uh, then we'll give them an additional opportunity to talk about some of the cool projects that they've been working on. So we'll we'll fill the space one way or another. All right. So let's just uh, let's start let's let's start up in the corner with Greg. Greg, do you mind introducing yourself for us? I never do. <laughs> um, hi, I'm Gregory Harris. Um, I've been playing role playing games since the late seventies. Uh, I was uh, I played Call of Cthulhu uh, back in some of the early editions, uh, so I've been a big fan of horror role playing for a long time. Um, I'm currently a big fan of uh, Call of Cthulhu's Delta Green variant, and also I've really gravitated lately to a lot of the rules light horror that uh, we're going to hear a lot about to, uh, on this panel, I'm sure, such as uh, Morkborg, Mothership, the Morkborg variants and things like that. Um, I've worked for Zach, uh, DMing at a number of conventions. I've written a mothership horror adventure called Fear and Loathing on Bixby Station for World of Game Design. I currently have another um, 
Mothership adventure in the pipeline with them, and I'm currently writing a Merkborg adventure. I'm really excited to talk about horror with all of you. And I'm a big horror movie fan, as uh, the background probably indicates. Awesome. Yeah, Greg is uh, one of my favorite people and slays it when it comes to uh, his, his writing on Mothership and his GMing. So really excited to have Greg here. If you haven't yet, I'll, I'll do a little plug here. Greg and I were on a Mothership-centric panel uh, back in GameholeCon, and you can go back into the Geeks Can't uh, podcast feed, and you can find Greg and I talking about Mothership at nauseum. Absolutely. Cool. And other cool people as well. Exactly right. Uh, next, we have John. John Hook, would you mind introducing yourself, please? Hi, uh, I'm John Hook. I am a podcaster and writer. Uh, I'm primarily known for Call of Cthulhu, and I've uh, published through Chaosium, Golden Goblin Press, uh, Goodman Games when they had their Age of Cthulhu line. Um, and I'm a, I was one of the founding members of the Miskatonic University podcast. I'm currently a co-host, uh, a creator and co-host of the uh, Modern Mythos podcast that I do with Seth Sporkowski of uh, YouTube fame. Nice. Um, <laughs> he's, he's fun. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's, you know, I've been, you know, gaming since I was a kid, you know, in the seventies. So I'm an old school grognard, you know, uh, I was playing Call of Cthulhu, uh, in the first edition, you know, the two inch thick, you know, box that was, that was always fun. And, uh, I, I love Call of Cthulhu, but I, I'm drawn to Call of Cthulhu. I love, uh, playing, um, King in yellow or Yellow King from Pelgrane Press. That's a really fun uh, version of the gumshoe system. And uh, I love the Alien uh, RPG mm. from Free League. That is chef's kiss. It's awesome. Mm. Perfect. Thanks a lot, John. I appreciate you. And uh, uh, good to have another Kansas City native in a panel. Mm. Cool. Uh, Tommy, you're up next. What do you want to tell us about yourself? Yes, my name is Tommy Sundsenauer. I'm a game designer from Denmark. Um, I'm I'm pretty new in this game compared to you all guys. Um, I started playing role-playing games like 10 or 15 years ago. Was introduced to uh, Dungeons and Dragons back then. Now I'm more into uh, the more rules-light stuff like Merkball is a big thing for me. I'm, uh, I created uh, the Merkball supplement called Sump. Uh, co-creator of Goblin Gonzo, which is a standalone game, but also a hack of the Merkborg rules. Um, and then recently, I I just ended my Kickstarter for my found footage horror game called Obscure. So that's what I'm working on right now. I uh, also also a, a big fan of of horror in in all its forms. Mm. Excellent. Yeah, uh, I, I had the pleasure of chatting with Tommy uh, in an interview uh, just a few weeks ago, which is also on the Geeks Can't uh, uh, podcast stream and on YouTube as well. And Tommy is super cool and obscure. The new found footage RPG is super fascinating. Um, I'm I'm so pumped to get that <laughs> in my hand. Um, it's so cool. And the dice for it are... I never say anything about it, but the dice for it are amazing. And if you've got dice goblins in your house, uh, Tommy can mm -hmm. hook you up. Uh, awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. 
Then we've got uh, to my left here, we've got Mr. Grimes. Danny, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is Danny Grimes. Uh, I'm an OG DM. I've been playing Dungeons & Dragons since they had Gen Con at Parkside University. I didn't quite meet the Legioniva days, but, um, and I've been playing a lot of different systems all throughout that time. My, uh, my wife actually introduced me to horror because she played chill. And, uh, and so that kind of, you know, she always was, would talk about that. And I was like, man, I should really get into horror games. And then we eventually ended up me and my running partners, my wife and my, uh, my good friend, Bruce started running games at Gen Con, big, large format games, 13, 20 people, eight hours, full props, uh, with Novus Ordo Seclorum. So I write and run big games. Uh, I don't know if they are good games, but they are big games. And then uh, more recently, I uh, was um, essentially the co-producer of a book called The Book of Monstrous Might for 5e. It was a book of all sorts of weird backgrounds for monsters and gave them all sorts of additional abilities and stuff like that. And that was a big project and pretty well on Kickstarter. And now I work with Zach and I am putting out a Cthulhu uh, adventure called The Lantern uh, sometime in the beginning of the new year. Uh, cowboys and cultists. We've got a weird west uh, setting that we're exploring, and we're writing the first uh, two installments with Zach and the Wagdi crew. So um, it's awesome to be here. I love being around other people because everybody has so many different ways of looking at this stuff. And Greg, you and I are going to have to talk about the remake of Suspiria. Awesome. Yes. That is currently one of like it's in my head all the time. That and Beyond Black Rainbow. <laughs> oh man! Oh, gosh dang it! Yeah, and we'll have to talk about chill. Um, I hope you noticed when we we introduced ourselves uh, in a group chat. So, and I hope you noticed I mentioned that. And so you just, did. Uh, you did. Yeah, and a little fun fact for everybody: um, Chill was co-written by Michael Williams, who was one of the contributors to the Dragonlance series of novels. Uh, so. Like I knew that name when I picked up the game. Right, right, right on. Yeah, you you were part of the Save organization, I think. That's what yes. the that's what the Societas yep. Alba Vitae something. It was Latin. It was Latin. Awesome. Well, we're, I appreciate all you fellows getting here um, and hopping in. Uh, again, my name is Zach Goins. I'm the president of Tabletop Fanatics, also one of the producers over at World of Game Design. I've written a lot of different things for 5th Edition, for Morkborg, for Mothership, uh, for Marvel um, with their new role-playing game. And then, uh, let's see, I'm also, I've am also i also put together a Hannibal RPG, which is crowdfunding in the spring for Hannibal Lecter, if you want to get into that world a little bit. And uh, then some of my favorite other games that I run consistently are Vampire, V5, and Call of Cthulhu, uh, among other horror titles. So I'm super comfy in the horror space, but uh, I, I feel like I'm sitting amongst legends and, and, and dynamite <laughs> in their own right. So super, super excited here. The topic for today is the Horror GM's Toolkit. And... Um, Kind of the idea here being that every GM has their own toolkit of things that they bring to the table, whether it's in their heads or it's in the virtual space to their uh, to their virtual platform or it's um, to the table in person. But they they have their own toolkit that helps 
um, create the right atmosphere, create the right energy, create the right stories that will draw their players in the way that they want them to. And while horror shares some of those same toolkits with other genres like fantasy, um, there are other tools. Some of those tools, in my opinion, get a heightened level of priority mm -hmm. in the horror side. And there are some special tools that are more important in horror. And there are some tools that are maybe degraded in the horror sense. So mm -hmm. this chat topic is about um, from, from five people with wildly different approaches, probably what, what, what is a great, the best sort of horror toolkit that a GM can bring? And my hope, if you're watching this or listening to it, is that you listen through and you hear from maybe John or Tommy or whoever, something that's like, oh, I, I would love to incorporate that into my game. That's the objective here, is to give you a golden nugget that you can take away and uh, do something cool with. In addition to that, I'm already seeing some great questions coming through the chat. Keep, keep them coming. I'm going to keep an eye on them. And after we're kind of done with a little bit of a presentation, I will grab those questions and we will scurry down that road. Um, John, I see uh, I see you shifting in your seat like you you are energized and ready to take off. So I'm going to I'm going to turn this over to you. When you think about the GM's toolkit, what are especially for horror? What are the first things that come to mind? The GM needs to be able to engage all the senses. In my opinion, that's the one thing I try and think about it, it, with each encounter um, in, in the scenario. Um, I wanted to make sure that the players are able to get a real sense for the space that they're in. Uh, I do play primarily theater of mind, so normally I'm not having a lot of props. You know, Call of Cthulhu does have some handouts and stuff, so there might be some things to read, you know, maybe I might be lucky enough to have a statuette or something like that, but not so much as far as like battle maps or anything like that. So um, I try to engage all the senses. So think about with uh, each encounter, um, not just what does it look like, but what does it smell like there? Um, what do you hear uh, potentially is there something going on that maybe somebody might ickily touch and taste, right? You know, you never know about what kind of uh, encounters you're going to be in and, and, and what uh, reaction your players are going to uh, have. So um, first and foremost, I want to try and be aware of the senses and what kind of uh, descriptions can I bring to that? I love that. Um, senses are visceral. And they mm. often are tied to memory, right? Um, mm. So if you can evoke the right sense to the right person, you get all of the baggage that comes from that sense, right? Good or ill, but but you it, it's a it's a shortcut to 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 emotion, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you think about some of the in film, um, while the uh, characters in the film don't hear a musical score typically um the viewers of the film we do and uh how evocative is it every time you hear that bass thrumming when uh the shark in jaws is starting to be nearby you instantly know there's something going on 
you can bring that to a game table where it doesn't have to be music. But if you start describing that in certain scenes, uh, the temperature drops or you smell a certain scent or you hear something, you know, a, a ticking or a, or a growl or something that's occurring in the darkness just beyond your light that will and every time something like that happens you know you know that the creature or whatever the malevolent force is is nearby um that will that will tell your players a lot and uh and especially if it's the second and third encounter with this it will set them on edge the first time it'll catch them off guard you know burn them once that's one thing then you start bringing it back they're going to start getting cautious Oh man! I, I so yes, all of that. Uh, I'm 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 so juiced. I want to talk about Alien and how you can do that in Alien right away. But I already adore this group of fellows because we have Danny already using the chat feature without being told to just put up a hand and say I have something to add, which is exactly how a pro would do it. Danny, what are you thinking here? Uh, really quickly, everything John said is right, fully on point. So I I, I can't say it better than that. My technique in those situations is I always want to hit people leaning in and asking another either silent question themselves or a direct question to somebody in the game. So I'll describe something in such a way where I don't fall back on tropes like dark or blackness or whatever. I'll say something evocative of that. And then people are like, well, what does that mean? Well, now I get to say something again. And they're asking for it, right? So now they're a willing participant. They're leaning in. I also use a lot of Dr. Seuss words. So I'll say something smells squirrely or sounds sclernish. And they're like, what does that mean? I say, well, it's just what you hear. You hear this little sclernishy sound. And then they're like, well, what does that mean? And they'll ask more questions about that because I figure the language of Cthulhu, especially, is all made up of strange pronunciations, you know, and, and it's fine to just throw some in. And then the third technique I use is I'll lean right over to someone. So I'll, uh, everybody else is talking. What are we going to do with the map? And the blah, blah, blah. And I'll lean over to Zach and I go, tick, 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 tick. And then I just say nothing to Zach. I just turn back to what I'm doing. And eventually I do it a little louder and I do it a little louder until two or three people hear it. So for me, it's all drawing people closer, keeping them asking questions, keeping them feeling like their particular moment is important in the overall thing, because now you got them by the soul. You know, you got those are the soul strings right there when they're leaning in. They're like, I, I open the casket. Sure, why not? You know, <laughs> uh, whereas they might be cautious otherwise. Uh, I like to get people to be incautious. So incautious. Uh, another Dr. Seuss word that needs to be that needs to be added to your lexicon. Um, yeah, yeah, I love it. Uh, Greg, I saw your hand pop up there. Yeah. Um, so I want to so following on to John's point because which is excellent. Um, in a role playing game, the characters sense what the game master tells them they sense and it's absolutely absolutely make everything as atmospheric as possible but another thing that will really juice the atmosphere of horror is unreliable senses is if the characters like you one of the things i love to lay on somebody is you glimpse something out of the corner of your eye it may have been movement you're not really sure 
you know, or one character out of the group hears something skitter in the corner. Are they just being paranoid or is something really there? You know, there's so many things you can do to, to be an unreliable narrator and get the characters off balance by providing them selective information that they can't necessarily trust. You know, and again, it's like, uh, you know, we talked about the movie, the, the, the alien role playing game, you know, and how there's a great scene where the first time the thing that pops out at them is the cat. And then the second time the thing that pops out of them is the big alien that no one's ever seen before. But they've, you know, they they give you the the little jolt and then the big jolt. Um, gamers hate uncertainty. They, no. <laughs> so give it to them in spades. Yes, yes, yes. I love that. Um, one of it, my if it, if I can, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, even reiterate on that that scene in the movie the amazing thing about it is the transition from cat the jump scare with the cat and then before we see the large adult-sized creature he finds the skin and so he's they're telling us without telling us that it has grown you know because you instantly think about snakes shedding their skin as they get bigger and you're like how much bigger you know and then suddenly it's you know yeah. a seven foot tall guy in a suit and you're like oh my god you know so i love that um one thing uh i promised i was going to bring it to the alien and then you guys did it for me but um one of the things that i love uh, so i'm almost exclusively a vtt gm right um, I, it's very rare for me to run games online, especially outside of the convention scene. So when I'm running games online, there's a few things that I do to help create that atmosphere. And the alien RPG is where I kind of learned to hone some of these VTT toolkit, uh, tools in the arsenal. Right. Um, but one of the things is it's little things, right? Like at least in your own house, in your own room, turn the lights off, right? You, you know, like just turn the lights off. So when people are looking at you on the screen, you're in a dark room that, is a little nudge if you can like on roll 20 there's an option for like light mode or dark mode turn it to dark mode for everybody right like do those little things that get people in the feel of the game the other thing that i think is imperative for vtt's is what you guys just talked about which is sounds right um all of my horror games have some sort of a sound ambient sound going on in the background why is that important well again it's about drawing people in it's another sense right play the right type of music and you evoke something that gets people in that mood. But not only that, the cool thing about using a VTT is you can pre-set up other sounds, not ambient sounds, right? Um, one of the things that I love about the Aliens series, right, is when the aliens in the vents, right, and it's moving around and you hear it, but you don't know where it is. Um, or that you know that it's in the vents, but you don't know exactly where it's going to pop out, right? You can do that at a VTT. You can go look. There's free sound archive and things like that where you can go find just like metal clank, <laughs> metal clank dot wave, right? And you can upload that into your game. And then just as the ambience is going on and your party is chatting about, do they take the left corridor or do they go into the hangar? You just click the metal clank dot wave button. And then there's this junk in the background. Everybody's like, was that what was that? What was that? <laughs> and that's exactly right, right? That's exactly what you want because that's what the characters would have done in the moment, right? And um, 
they'll learn that the metal mm-hmm. chunk, and if you have three or four different metal chunks, that's even better. But you know, building those in, they'll know there's something up there. There's something in the walls or in the ceiling or somewhere. You're getting that without, as a GM, you know, you're getting that little bit of, as you said, uh, Greg, that unreliableness, right? Where you're not communicating, mm-hmm. hey, this is important. You're allowing them to infer whatever they're going to infer from mm-hmm. sound, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in the same vein, I love what John said about theater of the mind. My big take, my big statement for for virtual games, especially, is don't show anything until you absolutely have to. If you have to give a visual, go nuts. If you don't have to, let's keep it back because your description and the player's own imagination is often going to be far more evocative than um, if we were to just show them, here's what a xenomorph looks like, right? Yeah. Um, Tommy, I, I, we, I've talked a lot. What do, you, what do you have to think on this? Yeah, I was uh, going to say that the, the things that you, that you can't see, the things that you don't know if they are really there or not, are often much more scary than if you just show the monster or whatever this entity is that you're up against. So it's, it's like the planting this seed, you know, foreshading something. That's the same thing as uh, Danny said about, uh, about this alien skin, you know, giving, planting the seed so the players know that something bad is going to happen. So building up this tension is a very good tool. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything you can do to ratchet up tension at the table is yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Something I use, uh, I, I usually find that that horror games, if you play like a, a game where you have to kill a lot of zombies, it's it's not scary. It, it can be very fun, but it's not scary. For me, the scary stuff is where the stuff is hidden in the dark, you know, mm-hmm. where the horror isn't uh, out in the open. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that there's something important with horror that once you start laying out a map, and grid and miniatures, the horror is less likely to appear in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. It gives the players an illusion of control. Mm-hmm. It makes it look more board game-like, right? Yeah. It's the difference between alien and aliens, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, Danny, you're muted, sorry. I'm going to say it creates a complete vision, too, that the players shouldn't necessarily have if they're, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If I show you what it looks like, now you can think in depth about the, that visual. If I don't show you anything, you can only imagine it. So mm-hmm. I know it, I know that's simplistic, but I mean, a lot of this stuff is very back-to-basic stuff. You know, there aren't, like, you just have to watch carefully and figure out how to scare people. Right. But, you know? Right. Uh, yeah, so there's a, there's a there's a trick that I use specifically in the alien RPG that I wanted to share that's very relevant to this and it's it's the concept of um seeing but it's it's so obscured you're not quite sure what you saw and it's one of those things where the the vision is one-sided. So the characters are seeing something but they as of yet, have not been seen by the other entity. And I have several set, uh, scenarios or situations because I've rerun some of the uh, the published uh, RPG uh, alien stuff so many times that there's a few things that I've got in my back pocket. So uh, in um, 
if I can indulge for just a moment, um, Chariot of the Gods. Uh, there's a scene where two spaceships hard lock to each yeah. other with a with a tube, okay? And the characters are supposed to descend through the tube to get into the other ship. In that scene, I describe it this way all the time because I, I love the, the, the description of sci-fi white, which is, in my mm-hmm. mind, uh, the uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, right? Mm-hmm. It, you see the, sp- the sci-fi white everywhere. And as the characters are in the tube um, and they've, they've descended down there, so they're physically on the outside of the other ship. They just need to get through the portal and be inside the ship. But as you're inside this tube, which is all sci-fi white, and so you can't see the stars outside, there's a shadow that's crawling across on the outside of the tube. And they just just barely see that shadow, kind of like if you know a, a, a translucent or slightly opaque um, shower curtain, and you're just seeing the hand touching the shower curtain. That's what they see on the tube, and they're like what's on the outside right so there's there's that scene and then um in uh, hope's last day uh you can transition through some uh, enclosed uh, uh walkways that are between buildings right and i'm picturing that these things have like you know plexiglass domed ceilings and when they were built they were probably pretty spiffy and clean but you know the atmosphere of uh, lv426 is you know just constantly just particulates are blowing through the air so mm-hmm. that that plastic is all scratched and dingy and it's super hard to see through and so as you're walking across this thing and you can just kind of barely see the the silhouette of a of a rooftop on an on the building that you're going to across this like skywalk you start seeing silhouettes of shadowy creatures almost like bunny hopping from you know uh air duct to air duct you know air conditioner you know you know mechanics on the roof and you're like uh what's that and uh, and then there's also this scene where you know piping in a hallway has cracked and so there's a a curtain of steam sort of like in the alien movie you know when ripley's in the bowels trying to talk to parker and he's turning on and off those steam vents (laughs) so as this curtain of steam is blowing and there's a light source back behind it an alien can walk on the other side of that and cast his shadow on that curtain of steam well, from the alien's point of view, he can't see through the steam. But from your point of view, looking down the hall and you see that curtain of steam, there's just this perfect shadow of an adult alien just kind of walking around. And that's when everyone goes quiet. Mm-hmm. And everyone immediately is like, um, I'm going to test stealth and try and get down this hall, right? Greg? Yeah. Um, Alfred Hitchcock um, wasn't, I don't think, was not specifically referring to horror, but it absolutely applies. Um, he talks about thriller movies as being about anticipation. And the analogy he uses is there's a scene, two people are at a table and there's a bomb under the table and the bomb blows up. It's like, boom, everybody's startled, you know, and, you know, there may be a lot of blood or something, but that's it. It's done. That shock has happened. Then he says two people are at a table. The audience knows there's a bomb under the table. And they're just sitting there talking and the audience knows there's a bomb under the table. That anticipation absolutely changes the atmosphere. And that's uh, that's definitely what I got from what you were saying, John, is it totally applies. 
I, I yes, and and anticipation wise, I'll give another set of tools that I use. Um, I'm a big fan of timers in, in all shapes and sizes, right? So that's hourglass timers, that's stopwatch timers, that's dice countdown timers if you're in rounds or something. Um, timers that communicate when something is imminent, like you're trying, you've got <coughs> this thinking about the Loki season two of Loki, right? And you have so the, there's a countdown happening, and they got to get the they got to get the MacGuffin out thing and attach it to the thing, and blah blah blah, right? There's a countdown. That countdown creates stress, and the same thing is true with your party. It can create stress if you communicate, right? Hey, I'm setting this timer, and at the end of this timer, the whole ship's gonna explode unless you can figure out a way to you know uh, you know avert the disaster in whatever way. Or, um, you know, I'm going to set this timer, and if you can't find a way of escaping this house or this room in that amount of time, something is going to be entered into this story, right? Like, those sorts of things build anticipation and stress within the players, not just the characters. Um, mm -hmm. There's a You can also just uh, make the timer without telling anybody what's going to happen. In the middle of a scene, you just suddenly starts to count down from something, put a D20 on the table, and... Each round, mm. take it down a notch, and just see the player's reaction. Once again, the fear of the unknown, right? Yes. Right. Especially yes. if it takes them a round or two to notice you're doing it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Maybe yeah. one. Maybe one player notices and. Yeah. The, the, there is a there is a known aspect to timers, and there's an unknown. And deploying one or both, um, I feel like, is a great way. Another great way is just saying. This is the session, and if you can't escape the place or find the key or whatever in this session, you're going to die, or the monster is going to catch. So a timer can even be literally the four-hour slot that you have to play. Sometimes that's the best juice because it's four hours of suspenseful anticipation. Danny, you got got a note there. So I'll, I'll tell this super capsule. We're running a game at a convention. There's a bunch of players, 13 or 14 players. They're all on a plane, and we force them to sit in two long rows in the room so that they, they're like on a plane. And at the front, we have a video screen set up, and it's playing the news, and it's got a Google map showing like where the plane is flying, and all this stuff's going along. And every once in a while, there's a feed from the cockpit. And there's two, and I've got a little video clip of two pilots like doing the pre-flight check or whatever they're doing. But I had also dropped in a video where the pilots were not in the plane because that's actually what was happening. There, it was being flown remotely from some other location. And the video that they were seeing was a plant. And I swear to God, the first time I cut it over, there was like a, and it's an empty cockpit. And one person, everybody else is out moving around the room, talking, doing whatever they're doing. So one guy's like, hey, 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 did you see that? And I switched mm. it back. Before anybody else could look, I switched it back. And he went on for the next 45 minutes about how he was not crazy and that there was something going on. And then eventually I, you know, I was required by the plot to do it again. I couldn't just like let everybody think he was crazy. And then someone else saw it. They're like, oh my God, now they're trying to break into the cockpit at 35,000 feet to, to answer this question. And it's the, it's again, Dawning horror is way more effective than surprise. Surprise is for each individual. Dawning horror is like the group can like, I, we do a thing called pile of cigarette butts. If it's ever slowing down, we say, you find a pile of cigarette butts outside your doorstep. 
We just don't say it anymore. Yeah. And people yeah. are like, what, what, what's that? Well, clearly someone was standing here looking in the window. <laughs> you know, like, so, you know, it's just those little touches, I think, are the things that we as GMs appreciate because it makes everybody at the table go, Ugh. <laughs> like, I don't like what that implies. I'm going to steal, uh, uh, I'm going to piggyback off that and steal a question from chat here. We're going to, we're going to dive into Q and a a little bit early because I think chat's asking some good questions. Um, so chat asks, um, what are some other ways to make your players feel like they're going crazy? Um, they love the cockpit story. <laughs> That's one. There's one. <laughs> I, I think, I think I'll, I'll go back to sound. Sound is a great way of doing it because it doesn't require you to communicate something and Danny did it with a visual, but you can do it in your home game or in another game with sound very easily. And did we actually hear that? Did we not actually hear that is, is super, super handy. Um, um, also pulling people into other rooms, pulling mm. people into private chats, sending people private messages. Don't do that frequently because then it gets convoluted and crazy, but in the right moment, when you, when you're, when you're, they're all in a room and you say, Greg, I need to take you into a private room and I'm going to tell mm -hmm. you something. When Greg comes back, every other player is now like, what does Greg know that we don't? How can mm -hmm. we get that information out of him? And if Greg, it, if Greg is hesitant or coy or reserved or anything, mm -hmm. now it's like, screw you, Greg. <laughs> like, we, <laughs> what are we, how do we, you know, like, we can't trust you anymore, right? Like, and he even goes into, uh, into yeah. the thing suddenly. Yeah, exactly. The thing. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love, I love in the right moment, giving only a certain percentage of the group information. Yep. And that breeds so much distrust and, and suspicion. Greg, you're, you got a note there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, passing notes is a great tool for that. And one of the cool things is you can pass a player a note without necessarily saying anything, you know, important. But, you know, but you can say, don't share this with the other players, but, you know, um, you found a candy bar and it's delicious, right? <laughs> and, you know, and so it's not relevant to their situation, but all they know is you wrote something on a three by five card, folded it and slid it over to a player. and exactly that same thing you are elevating the level of paranoia i um uh tommy did you have any other thoughts there before before i before nope. i scamper off okay cool um yeah i think that when we're talking about crazy the best way to get that is i think the summary here is by and large split the party right the more you can fetter people off into their own corners the more people are and that's true if we think about horror films or horror shows right mm -hmm. like and that's the thing that i would circle us back to is like what's the best thing in the horror gm's toolkit honestly watching reading great horror because mm -hmm. if you can feel that arc and you can watch what the storytellers are doing and what the characters are doing and then if you can find ways of naturally getting your own group to do that it's not for nothing that that so many people have, you know, when you get into the haunted house and all of a sudden all the actors are going in three different directions. That's because that's where the often the juice can happen and where distrust can breed and terror can breed and all that. When everybody's together and they all get to walk from room to room to room together and make plans and they get to strategize. 
it's very rare that a true horror moment will come out of that. Something has to come in and like break the bowling pins, scatter mm-hmm. them a little bit. Tommy, yeah. Yeah, but that was that was actually exactly what I was what I was going to say. Split the party, uh, not just in the way uh, of against each other, but split them physically. You know, split the characters. When someone just wants to peek inside a room, an adjacent room, make the door slam shut, and it doesn't open anymore. And now you have two different scenes that you can cut between. And and that that's another good tool, I think, to to use cutscenes, you know, mm. build up tension in one place and cut to another place just when something something scary is about to happen. Yes. I love I love, love that like shifting back and forth and then you let that other group sit with that. Exactly. You can tell them something like the, the door suddenly starts to open slowly, creakingly, and then you cut to the other players. Yes. I and so, and, and chat's got another question here that's gonna fill into this, which is how do you split the party against their will? Um, And I'll say right out the gate, like one of the things that you can do is take control of their character for a moment and do it with reverence and with respect and with whatever. But you said, Tommy, there, like if one says, I want to peek inside the door, you know, one thing that I will do in my games is I'll say, if you'll allow me to take your character for just a moment, get their nod. And then you say, okay, you're caught. You cautiously open the door. You look around, you spend plenty of time gazing the room. You don't see anything. You click on your flashlight, you pan the room, nothing. This gives you enough of a resolve that you step forward into the room. You're going to you're gonna make sure that there's nothing in here. The moment that you step in, the door slams closed behind you, right? You have now prodded them or guided them into a moment where you can split the party, but you've done it in a way that doesn't seem like I'm ratcheting it away from them. If you can get them to allow you to kind of steer the ship a little bit based off of their stated intent, I want to check the room. You can get that moment where you split without having to say, okay, move your character four spaces in. And now everybody else is like, oh, wait, no, we'll all move in together. You take the reins for just a moment. Paint the right picture. Don't make their characters look dumb. Don't make their characters look like they're ignorant. Allow them the moment, but but allow that moment to also close the door. Um, Danny, you you got a note here. Um, no, I think you covered it honestly. Uh, the, uh, building that building that perception, and and just to go back to the madness or craziness thing, just real quickly. Um, those things were really taboo back when this game began and there's a rich history of, of all that and so we call them by those names schizophrenia paranoia whatever now in a much more open space uh people aren't always comfortable using those terms because they're somewhat reductive and so forth and i honestly think i personally think they're kind of lazy but no movie ever really describes things like that no novel describes things like that they just describe the effect of the of the madness not try to define it like it's in the dsm-4 you know it, it's you just describe what's happening i mean uh what's the one uh the movie with uh the guy who played the young professor x where he played the beast oh you know obviously that was personality disorder you know those person but how he actually acted was the cool part it didn't matter what the, what was causing it it was what his actions were describe those well and i think you can bring people into it pretty easily yeah split uh as as chat saying split. Split. Oh, yeah. tommy you had you had your hand up there first i think oh yeah that was uh, back to the 
to the chat question about splitting the party. I just uh, I have an example in uh, in my one of the scenarios from my game obscure. Um, that's uh, that's this situation where the the characters can choose to crawl through an air duct uh, up in the ceiling, and um, if this air duct is very old and very unstable, so that means if more than one pe person enters the air duct, it will fall down, and then you can make it crash, you know, in two different rooms, and and physically splitting the party that way. Um, and some other examples is that you can make. If you're playing, you know, like a fantasy game with different uh, different races, if you have some small races and some huge races, you can also make it physically impossible to some of them to go through a small opening, as an yeah. example. Also, those timers, right, that I talked about mm -hmm. earlier, sometimes a time crunch forces people to say, if we yeah. all go together, we will not get it done. We have to yeah, exactly. cover things. Uh, yeah, timers is exactly what I was about to bring up is uh, mm. when when players might be trying to game the game and uh, stick together because, you know, safety in numbers, you can remind them, <clears throat> you know, typically in a lot of these uh, uh, horror scenarios, there is an objective that you're trying to achieve and you can, you know, let them know that, hey, success is dependent upon timing and uh and that if if you're unable to uh meet the uh the very tight timeline that's being presented to you there will be dire consequences and now they will see that the only way to achieve this higher goal is to split up and try and cover more ground um i also want to uh, kind of go back to uh uh with the whole kind of insanity thing Call of Cthulhu has the sanity mechanic, mm -hmm. and I absolutely love it. I think it's fantastic. And one of the things that you can do is, uh, yeah, you don't need to use the uh, you know gaming terms, right? You don't have to say, well, you're going to have this uh, you know temporary insanity for two d ten rounds or whatever it is. You can you know describe the way that you're having the effect. But one of the ways that you can also uh, bring in uh, paranoia is through hallucinations. So mm -hmm. if you if you describe one effect, which might be you know because the uh, uh, the the situation of the fright now they're having a fear of spiders, right? So now they have arachnophobia. Go ahead and talk about how you know the the long legged creatures uh are freaking you out despite their size um but then also you know as you as you as they're kind of recovering from that you know they can see that their companion um uh apparently is is brushing hair back over their head to cover some of the uh, uh multiple eyes that they have and they're they're trying to obscure the extra eyes mm -hmm with you know brushing their hair in such a way that it's covering it and they're actually a spider person so you're tying that arachnophobia into something larger with hallucinations and players will you know run with that i mean and the, being that it is a game you know we are dependent upon we're telling a 
cooperative story. So, you know, you're going to, you're going to lead some line out and it is going to be dependent upon someone to pick that up and, and keep pulling on that thread, you know, but yeah. That's oh, why we're here, right? Exactly right. Uh, Greg, you had a follow-up to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. just real, real quick, because John raised a really excellent point. Um, if you impose a status on someone, like, bam, you've been hit, you're doubled over in pain, you're incapacitated, you can't act, don't tell them that it's for 2d10 rounds. Don't tell them that you'll be you'll be fine in five rounds. Just tell them you can't act. You are, you know, you're you're down, you're done, you're blinded. Don't let them know when it's going to end let them know when it's you know keep that inference it's like we said it's all about control of information keep that information secret let them sweat there are two really good questions in chat that i want to make sure that we cover um before we, we're, we're about 15 minutes from wrapping up here and i think both of these are just really great so i'm gonna i'm gonna go with history professor mike's question uh first which is do you tweak the rules in a game system that isn't a horror game, such as 5e? Uh, is there things that you do to tweak the system to make it feel more like a horror game? Or do you just kind of roll forward with your own ideas? Can I take that, actually? Oh, yeah, go for it, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so for example, what I just said, that is a, that is a perfect way of adding a, a suspense and horror to even 5e without changing anything about the rules is right you in a normal 5e game i might say okay you're blinded for until the end of the creature's next turn and it's like no you're blinded right now i'll let you know when it ends um and another thing real quick in 5e i i hardly change the rules at all but another thing is like you don't tell them there are four orcs coming at you. You tell them that there are four huge creatures with large teeth, and you get this big, just this fleeting impression of a big shape with a bigger weapon, and it's coming at you right now. Roll initiative. You know, let them figure out that it's orcs. You know, because if you just say, "Oh, it's orcs," eh, you know, or they're skeletal, or they're zombies, or whatever, don't tell them what the monster is. Let them figure it out. I'll say also, someone who's ran a lot of five E and written written some uh horror uh modules for fifth edition i will say that it can be difficult for a game that is not a horror based game that doesn't have mechanics for dread or terror or sanity or fear to to find ways of instilling that right and i think to me sometimes it is about hey we need to incorporate a slight tweak here in fact even the 2014 dungeon master's guide has guidance for if you're going to run a horror session here's some tweaks that you can do i think it gives you a, a sanity stat and some other stuff like like they kind of steal some things from other games to say these are some tools right like you can set the scene very well i think what no matter the system and you can play through it but on the character sheet what happens to that character mechanically you might have to tweak certain rules to get the effect that you're looking for mounting dread like we talked about the alien rpg we've talked about uh, mothership right these are games that really understand that if we can find a mechanical way of reinforcing dread or panic then the, that takes a little bit of load off the gm it's it's reinforced by that and so think about what types of feelings and emotions or conditions that you're wanting your characters and your players to feel and i think the best answer is go and play some other rpgs like call of cthulhu or alien or mothership find out what works there and i'll tell you like most of those things can be easily integrated back into fifth edition to get that right juice 
any other thoughts it, on that one? Oh yeah, if, if I may. Yeah. So one of the one of the um, traits I think in traditional Dungeons and Dragons, regardless of the of the uh, edition, zero to five. One of the traits that I think is uh, inherent in that for the players is that everybody seems to know the monsters. So if you start describing something, they're like, okay, that's a gelatinous cube. Okay, that is a null. Okay, that's an orc. Pig-faced? Okay. Um, you know, they, they're familiar with these monsters. You want to change your game, your 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 D&D fantasy game into something a little more horror, change the monsters, right? And this is going to be true in any game system. Uh, and I, I will also say that the monsters in these, in the monster books, these are just guidelines. There's, I don't believe that a single monster should be set in stone, right? Um, uh, Goodman Games has put out several uh, system agnostic books. It's their alphabet series, right? So they've got a dungeon alphabet, a monster alphabet, and Cthulhu alphabet. And the great thing about these books is that they're just tips and tricks on how you can modify your setting and your monsters. I did one in there um, about how you might change a mimic, okay? So mimics typically uh, could be uh, a, a treasure chest, right? Or I did one in a book where it was a golden throne, okay? But I did in this book, we're talking about how you can modify monsters. I did a mimic where in the room where you see the room filled with, with piles of treasures, 90% um, of that piles of treasures in the room, coins and swords and all this stuff, that itself is the mimic because it's an elder, ancient, the thing is absolutely gargantuan in size. And because it's so old, instead of it having like glue effects, right, where the, the, the appendage can come out and it has a glue effect, the glue has soured into acid. So now if it sends its appendage out and it slaps onto you and sticks to you, now it's burning you because it's acidic, right? Modify your monsters and you will scare the living shit out of every one of your players. I love that. Uh, uh, that, that, yes, I, I, and I support that 100%. Uh, Danny, you also had your hand up for a note there just have a really strong discovery mechanic if there there isn't really one i think in uh in D, D per se it's just make an investigation check okay you didn't find it make another one make another one or run something like gumshoe where you just find the clues because mm -hmm. the important thing is not finding the clue generally the important thing is what important pivotal dangerous stakes raising choice are you going to make as a result of finding that clue? I'll frequently tell my players, they're really grasping at straws, you know? I'm like, what is it that you want to know to take the next step? They're like, well, it'd be great to know the name of the local lord. And I'm like, his name is Fauntleroy. What now? You know, and they're like, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and then they, you know, they ask more questions and we're engaged again. But a way to discover things where the players can interact, Monty Cook had a great one with his lore site mechanic, mm. where you just got a list of questions you can ask 
And as long as the group could answer them correctly, you could move to the next one. And then as soon as someone gave the wrong answer, you rolled and got that answer. Hmm. So everybody was talking, everybody was sharing their ideas. This is really important in a horror game. We're always discovering, having an action, and then recovering. And then discovering an action and recovering. Yeah. So you put them through that loop. I love that. Uh, okay, so we've, we're at the tail end here. I'm going to do, we've got two questions in the chat that are basically almost the same question. One from Craig and one from Gridlock, um, which is, so I'm, I'm going to go back to uh, Gridlock's phrasing of the question just because I think it might get us an interesting answer. Um, but what's an underrated or a lesser known horror RPG you wish had more love today? Uh, Tommy, is there one that comes to mind for you as, as a lesser known or underrated horror RPG? I am, as I said before, I'm, I'm a, I think I'm a bit greener in this than, uh, than the rest of you. I haven't actually played that many games, except uh, I played Call of Cthulhu and Vampire and Blockball, and they're not exactly underrated, so. Well, listen, I, that's fair. I will say, though, that um, I'm going to point towards Obscure. Um, I'm going to give you an opportunity here oh, to point towards Obscure and thank say. Thank you. I, I, would, I wouldn't say that myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, no, talk... Get, we're at the tail end here, and and this question is about, I think, at its core, is about discovering new <laughs> horror RPGs. So we, we you mentioned at the beginning that you were doing that um, project, but do you mind talking about what makes obscure different in the RPG sense? I think it's um, obscure is 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 made for very easy uh, pick up and play one shots, and it's. Um, I think it's this whole setting that is that's inspired by by these, you know, being alone in the in the dark forest or being caught in the in a hospital basement. You know, these uh, desolated or claustrophobic settings um, where your characters are just regular people who are who are very much caught up in in some terrifying situations. Um, and then it's this whole thing with the with the technology. Obscure takes place in the '90s, and you very much rely on your video camera or your flashlight and the battery time. So it's mm -hmm. you know this this countdown thing in Obscure. It's the hours of battery that you have on your character that's very important. Oh, I yes, oh, I'm so ready. <laughs> Take me there. The speed of time. Uh, awesome. That's fantastic. Thanks for talking about that some more, Tommy. Um, Danny, is there one that comes to mind for you? You're muted, but I'll let you know. He said no. <laughs> I've been coughing, sorry. Uh, Dread. I love Dread. I love me some Dread Tower. I love all of that. I love that it's almost like a piece that you can just add on to. So like people that want to like grab something onto D&D, Dread is really close. It's not necessarily oh, close that's to the, That's the Tower one. Yeah. Yeah, sure is. I'm, I'm, I'm in the midst of making a Cthulhu Jenga Tower for myself for my Cthulhu game to incorporate my drag mechanics. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, that's, yeah. I, I You're going to have to, we're going to have to sit down and you're going to have to walk me through Dread at some point, Danny. Because um, that's one I haven't played, but I've heard a lot of good things about. It's not 100% cool, but it's like 89. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Awesome. Uh, so dread obscured, Greg. What one are you going to add to the list? Um, it's not entirely a horror game, but um, Call, uh, but, but uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics 
uh, does a lot of the stuff that we have been talking and a lot of their adventures. I mean, they have a horror series of adventures and a lot of their uh, adventures incorporate horror tropes. They don't, all of the monsters are unique so they don't just throw cookie cutter monsters at you. Character death is very common. Um, players know they're taking risks and the dungeon master controls the information. Uh, DCC obviously has a, a, a small but devoted following, but I sometimes wish that that had more love because it's a great game. Yeah, that's that's uh, yes, I, 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 I'll support the DCC excitement and intrigue and quality all the way around. Uh, John, what are you thinking of? I mentioned it earlier, you know, briefly, but the Yellow King RPG from Pellegrin Press. This is an amazing game. It uses a version of the gumshoe system. Uh, They call it the uh, quick shot gumshoe. And what I love about it, uh, what I think is so uh, intuitive, really, for me, is that you don't have hit points or sanity points or anything like that, right? There's no mind points, no no hit points. The the game has physical and mental damage that can be applied to, to characters, but it's applied in cards. So there's a whole slew of uh, injuries and um, I forgot uh, I forgot the the name for the mental ones, um, but. So you've got physical and mental damage cards. And if at any point your character has three of one type, either three of the mental or three of the physical, then you are either dead or insane and taken out of game. And as you get the cards, there'll be conditions that change the way that you can play the game. There'll be conditions on how you can get rid of that card or trade it in for a less severe card. And then once you get the less severe card, you'll be able to, you know, there'll be a condition on it to trade it in to, you know, be void of a card. Um, But that's what I find so in, intriguing about uh, Yellow King. And also just the setting with it being Carcosa. You know, everyone just loves the, the twistedness of Carcosa. And Yellow King, just the way it's designed, it has four settings. It's got uh, the, uh, the Belpoc uh, period of uh, Paris, France, which is really kind of the beginning when Carcosa is seeping into our world. And then there's, you know, a weird war uh, era. There's a, um, uh, another post-war. And then there's like the, no- the, the new now, the, which is supposed to be completely modern, except there's the, uh, the, the seepings of Carcosa are even more ingrained in our, in our day-to-day society. And it's just, it's a freaking great game and it needs mm. more attention. Yeah. Well, I wrote it down. Yeah. Yellow um, King. I've stared at it on a on on the shelves and at the tables at conventions for two years now. And I, I'm Dude, a, you don't have to be scared. You can get it. <laughs> yes, right. you do. It's horror. <laughs> um, I'll throw a couple of titles, which I guess is, is my right. Um, I will say that kind of one that I'll pitch out is like an underrated. Um, I'll speak from my own experience here, which is... Um, uh, I think that for a large portion of the RPG crowd, 
vampire is seen as a LARP experience or a, or like a off the deep end experience. And I would like to communicate to all of you who are not ready to do a LARP or deep end experience that vampire is a fantastic game. I even outside of that, and you can have an incredibly horrific, tense, deep, rich game just sitting around the table and playing it like you would any other horror game. Um, so I, I would say I'd give a nod to, to one of the greats. And then the other one that I will talk about is brand new, and I'm itching to find the right crew to put on the table. But there's a, there was a game funded uh, earlier this year called Lycoma. L-I-C-H-O-M-A, Lycoma. Oh, yeah. Which is a meat punk horror game. Mm. Uh, so it's body horror to the extreme. It's bodies and flesh used as currency in this dystopian future. Um, I That is like everything that I love on the horror. That's like the extreme into horror. Very that's good. My jam, yeah. Um, so mm. Lycoma is a card-based RPG um, it comes in a box set, so you get all sorts of good little handouts and like in-world artifacts and things. Um, I think I think there's something really special there, especially if you're in the uh, horror uh, body horror side of of this fascination. Fellas, I think uh, we're about three minutes over, so I think we did perfect on time. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me. As we wrap up here, Greg, I'm going to give you first opportunity. Say what you want to say, and then um, tell us if they want to connect with you or if you want to point them in some direction where they should go. Absolutely. Well, uh, I'd love to connect up with anybody watching. I am Mazinga at bluesky.social, M-A-Z-I-N-G-A. Uh, feel free to drop me a line, like me there. Um, one of the things I was going to say is we've talked about a lot of really specific um, specific things. I want to echo Zach's point of watching and reading great horror. You know, there's a lot about Lovecraft not to love, but by all means, crib that vocabulary from it or Stephen King or your favorite author, or your favorite movie. Use those scenes, use those tropes. But the most, the most important thing, for, I think one of the most important things for generating good horror is just the basics of good GMing. And the thing I want to emphasize most is preparation. Because if you're unprepared, it breaks the immersion, and that's worse a worse experience for the players if it's with horror. So just be prepared, roll with the punches, and get your players in deep. Fantastic. Thanks a lot, Greg. And you can check out Greg has an adventure called Fear and Loathing on Bixby Station. That is available on uh, online through our web store, store.wogd.com. Um, if you're curious about checking out some of Greg's cool mothership content, John, yeah, let's give fear you is right there in the title. Perfect. Fear and loathing and Bixby station. Uh, John, what do you have here at the end that you want to point people to? Please come and check out the modern mythos podcast. Uh, we're going to be available on all your favorite podcatchers. Um, the title might be uh, modern mythos with John and Seth, but um, I, I, I had a hard time getting it set up, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but uh, yeah, check out the Modern Mythos podcast. I, I've constantly got things that I'm working on, but as of late, I don't have anything across the finish line. So hopefully at some point in 2024, I'll have like five or six things across the finish line. Excellent. We'll see what happens. I love that. Uh, Modern Mythos podcast. Uh, definitely check that out. John's great. Seth's great. It's going to be great. Tommy. 
Yeah, you can uh, go to Facebook, search for Obscure RPG. Um, that's where you can find me right now and follow the process of this game. Um, I'm very excited for it and I hope a lot of people will play it. Awesome. And I'll, I'll, I'll add to that for Tommy. Um, Tommy did a, uh, a couple of Morkborg books, the most recent, which was Goblin Gonzo, which is just fulfilling. So I'd keep a lookout for that. If you're a Morkborg uh, fan, um, Goblin Gonzo is going to be right up your alley. And that's, that's a good work from Tommy. Awesome. Uh, Danny, what do you got for us? Mute. <laughs> you're muted, Danny. <laughs> I'm a pro. You said I was a pro, Zach. I, I did say uh, those words so, didn't come out of my mouth. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah those uh, those ill-chosen those Ill words. Uh, you can find me at delvingwood.com. Uh, the other half of my life, other than running and writing games and designing games, is I run a full CNC laser and 3D printing shop full-time, me and my wife. And we make all sorts of toys. Um, I was asked earlier this year by a judge on a jury like what my job was, and I told him toy maker, and I actually made him stop and look over at me and say, really? <laughs> said, yeah. So delvingwood.com, you can check out our Delvingwood tiles. We make all sorts of cool stuff there. And uh, coming out in early uh, 2024, the Lantern of Inshan Takanoob, which is our Weird West uh, game that's coming out with Zach and the rest of the crazy bastards over at, uh, over at Wagdi. Perfect. Uh, yeah, so I'll say uh, for myself, couple things that I would point you to go check out. So you're here for Midwest game fest. The party's going to continue on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks forever over on the world of game design, Twitch channel. Um, so if you go to WOGD, W O G D live on Twitch, you will find uh, creator interviews with Tommy and with Danny and with a whole, literally hundreds of different people over there. You'll also have GM chats, actual plays, by the way, we're going to play Lord of the Rings five E tonight on that channel. Um, and we're going to be playing Dragon Bane uh, Sunday night on that channel. So there's a couple cool things for you to check out there. Um, we do all sorts of interviews. You can also check out the Geeks Can't podcast where all of those live streamed uh, chats are then condensed down, repackaged, and put into audio format. And we'd love for you to check that out. I'm going to give one more shout out to Midwest Game Fest. If you are watching this on their channel, or even if you're not, head over there and do it. Because uh, here in about an hour, they're going to be doing a guest seminar on building diversity in gaming. Then there's going to be a, a, an, a, a game played this evening live called Crisis. Two bullets till payday later this evening. And then we've got a bunch of panels live plays, interviews, and all sorts of stuff stacked up all weekend long over on Midwest Game Fest uh, on Twitch. So there's a lot of different things that you should check out. And by the way, I'm going to put one more plug in for them because this is the first show we're doing, and why not? Um, Midwest Game Fest is not just online. There is a real in-person show where you can hang out with weirdos like you see here in person um, in April in uh, around the Kansas City Missouri area. Um, it's a lot of fun. I know John and I got to hang out last time uh, at that show, and you should do that. Like, like, why not? Like, especially if you're in the Midwest. Like, there's only so many conventions in the like true Midwest of Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, Illinois. Like, you can come to this one. I promise you, and you'll have a great time. Fellas, anything else that we should say as we close out here? 
play more games. Thank you for having me. Yeah, play. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, chat. Thank you, chat, for hanging out. I see Steve. I see Paradox. I see Mike. I see Gridlock. I see Craig. I see all sorts of cool people hanging out in chat. Really appreciate you. Continue on the Midwest channel, and then we'll be back on this channel as well. 